Good morning. How are you today? Everybody blessed? Everybody put your hands together. Let's give the Lord praise. Come on. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. You are good. We want to wish every one of you a happy Memorial Day weekend and even bigger than that uh, because that's the American thing, but much, 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 much bigger than that historically and what affects you down to the very core of your being this is Pentecost Sunday, 50 days after the resurrection was the day the church was born. So look at your neighbor and say, happy birthday. Happy We're going to be celebrating that later in the service this morning uh, at, or at the end of the service as we go into the picnic. Got a huge, I think, two big birthday cakes. So got something sweet for you as well as hamburgers and hot dogs. Are you looking forward to the fellowship today? Amen. I'd like you to stand with me one more time, please. We are so grateful for your being here. If you're a first-time guest, my name is Michael. I'm the lead pastor here at Victory. We are thrilled that you've taken this opportunity to come and visit us, although it was probably difficult unless somebody gave you special instructions because all our signs say 9 and 1045. For our summer uh, holidays, Memorial Day, uh, 4th of July, Independence Day, and then for Labor Day in uh, September, we will be doing one service like this in those three summer holidays. So we're thrilled that you've joined us. The title of the message this morning is called Built for Holiness, God's People. This is actually number five in the series. We are still in a segment of chapter four, and we'll get to that in just a moment. Uh, the text that we've been using is found in Ephesians chapter two, verse 20. The title of the series is called Built. And so this, this thing begins with that right there. The very first word is the title of this series. Grab that and read with me, please, if you would. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Read it one more time. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful that you've given to us the one who not just talks the truth, but he showed it to us. He, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes unto the Father except through Jesus. And God, we thank you for that truth, that powerful word this morning. Thank you that as we come and celebrate, we take a moment and we remember the lives of men and women, veterans in the wars that have bought us the freedom, the blood that's been shed by previous generations. Lord, some of our parents and grandparents, brothers and sisters in this room, died on foreign soil, protecting so that we could have the freedom to gather in this place this morning and come together and sing, Jesus, you are good. Glory to your name. And we will never, God forgive us when we have taken that for granted, send, we pray, revival to the shores of the United States of America. God, send it right here in the very middle of it, the buckle on the Bible belt. God, we cry out to you for revival, for reformation, transformation in the delta. In the name of Jesus, we're careful to just tell you that we know that we can't do it in our own strength. Apart from you, I can do nothing. But Jesus, I thank you that you're with us today and you're in us. Your Holy Spirit is upon us. We thank you today for empowering us to do what you've called us to do and be. It's by your grace and by your strength. It's not by might or by power in ours, but it's, it's by yours in Jesus' name. Not by might, not by power, but by your, what does it say? What does the word say? Yes, in the name of Jesus, by your spirit. God, we thank you. We pray right now that you bless this service, that you anoint this word let it change us and transform us. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. 
in the presence of the Lord. This message that we've been bringing to you on built is just this big idea in this amazing book of Ephesians, which some call it the Swiss Alps of the New Testament. Uh, one of the writers that I've been reading that I've, I've had a little book for many, 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 many years by a woman. Her name is Ruth Paxson. She calls it the Grand Canyon of Scripture. Uh, the title of her book was called The Wealth, The Walk, and The Warfare of the Believer. So she divides Ephesians into three segments. We've talked about this whole thing about the, the wealth of the believer in, in Scripture. And Ephesians 1 talks about the spiritual possessions. Ephesians chapter 2 talks about our spiritual position in Christ. We have a new status. We are no longer outsiders as Gentiles 2,000 years ago who had the work of the Holy Spirit moving among them and in their midst uh, initially sort of hardened legalistic pharisaical Jews were very much against that because they had this very wrong idea that the fact that they were a chosen nation made them exclusive from the rest of the world and better than. And, and, and Ephesians 2 really deals with that, with the cross of Christ tearing down the middle wall of partition that separated Jews and Gentiles, and it ended the hostility, reconciling us together in Christ. Those who were near, Jews, those who were afar off, Gentiles, are all brought nigh by the blood of Christ. And so the cross of Jesus Christ was all about tearing that wall down. There are, there are theologies and eschatologies and groups who attempt to try to build that back up to, to draw unnecessary distinctions between, quote, natural Israel over there in the Middle East and what is the church. And, and this morning, don't want to take any more time because we've talked about some of that in the last few segments. These messages are all free. You don't have to buy anything. They're free to you if you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes uh, at Victory Church of the Mid-South, or you can log on to victorywired.com and play them through your laptop or the media player on your computer or whatever you would like to use. And, and they're always usually up by late Sunday afternoon. Sometimes they don't make it up till Monday morning, but they're always up within about 24 hours. So we have those available to you, and they're free. If you haven't been here and you'd like to catch up on what we've been saying regarding Ephesians and how God is building something. Ephesians 2, he built the temple, Ephesians, which is us. It's not a building anywhere because the Bible says over and over, God does not dwell in temples made with hands, in rock or stone or steel or brick or mortar or any of those kinds of things. I'm looking at the temple of the Holy Spirit right now. It's you individually and it's us corporately. Somebody say amen. amen. Colossians 1.27, the mystery that's been hidden from ages and generations but is now made manifest to the saints, that's you, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And in the Greek, it is Christ in and among you all. Christ is a many-membered body over which Jesus is the head. Hello, Christ. That means you're the anointed too. We're talking about Jesus is the head of a many-membered body. You're sitting here today. Victory is sort of a little piece of the larger body in West Memphis. The churches of West Memphis are a little piece of the larger body of the Mid-South. And the Mid-South is a little piece of the larger body of the church in the United States of America. And the U.S. is only a little piece of the larger body all over the whole globe. And the glory, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord is increasing to the point there will come a day that when that literally will be so great, it will be like the waters that cover the sea is what Habakkuk and Hebrews and a number of other passages in the Bible says. Come on, put your hands together and give the Lord praise this morning. God's on the move. He's doing something great. 
So this morning, we've moved through this. We've talked about God building us together as His temple, God building us according to a purpose that is His family, God building us for maturity, that's God's body, that was last week. And this morning, the title of the message is Built for Holiness. Built for Holiness, God's people. Everybody say holiness. Now, holiness uh, many times carries with it a certain uh, connotation. And um, because of various groups in the past, Holiness has been associated with the clothesline or the kind of clothes you wear, whether women do or don't cut their hair, uh, whether or not they do or don't wear makeup. And notice it's always picking on the ladies. The men can be strutting around like peacocks in suits and fluffy ties and all kinds of you know, handkerchiefs spilling out of it, match the tie, and they can just be... And then Mama's standing there looking like she's dressed in a gunny sack, and I, I don't understand that. Um, I, I believe that God wants uh, to beautify his bride, and of, which is made up of both male and female. Just like we're called the sons of God, as females, you are part of that category. Men are also included in what's called the bride of Christ. So there's an adjustment for all of us in our thinking because we think usually based on our gender. And so God calls the body of men and women sons of God. He also calls the body of men and women the bride of Christ. So there's a feminine aspect and there's a masculine aspect to those relationships as well. But before we really get into that next week, we're, we're in part of chapter 4. We only did the first 16 verses last week. And so this morning, we're going to grab 17 through 32. And as we're in this section, we're going to be talking about the holiness to which God has called us. Holiness, uh, if, if I can help you understand this, is a heart matter that moves internally into the external. Holiness is, and this may shock you that I'm going to use this illustration, but this is a totally legitimate, correct, biblically substantiated idea. Holiness, putting it on for show would be like you walking into the room this morning with my boxers on the outside of my jeans. It would be like putting on underwear, which is supposed to be hidden behind the rest of my garments and wearing it on the outside. As a matter of fact, there's a very true story about a missionary who took some clothes to a young man who he was mentoring, and the young man had been raised in tribal South America, and when the Western clothes were given to him, he did not know how to put them on properly, so he put on a pair of jeans, and he pulled his, they were tidy whities he pulled them up over the jeans. Okay, and, and so he's putting it on outside, and so the, 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 the pastor, the missionary, basically had to say, no, you need to go back in the room, and what you have on the outside actually goes next to you. It's something that moves internally, uh, that, that, that is there, that protects and guards. Holiness guards your heart. Holiness is a matter of purity of life. Come on, somebody. It's not about the clothesline. It's not about how long your hair is. It's not about any of these kind of things that people want to get legalistic about. All right? It's about a manner of life. So as we look at this, God has called us to be built for holiness. Let's jump into our section this morning of Ephesians chapter 4. And the one thing that I want you to grab, and we're going to say this a couple of times, is this concept right here. Everybody say it. The walk of a Christ follower is a put off of the old and a put on of the new. Sometimes folks, you know, don't quite understand us as Christians and they can look at us in a southern colloquial understanding of that phrase and they say, oh, he's just a put on. Now, what does that mean? That means he's faking it. 
So when I say God's called you to be a put-on, I'm not talking about a mask or a facade. I'm talking about literally putting on and making it part of your life, the lifestyle of Jesus Christ. You put off, you take off the old, and you put on the new. Say that with me. You put off the old, and you put on the new. Say it again. You put off the old, and you put on the new. So this section, when we open up in Ephesians chapter 4, the key concept is our walk. Okay, So it's all about our manner, our behavior of life. It's about our conversation. It's about the way we live. Ephesians 4 opens up and says, I charge you, my beloved brothers, that you walk in a manner worthy of your calling. So we've moved down through that, walking in unity, walking in the grace gift that God has given to you, walking with your leaders uh, last week. So this is our first point today. As we roll into this, don't walk like a Gentile anymore. Everybody say that with me. Don't walk like a Gentile anymore. Well, why would Paul say that? Because you're no longer Gentiles. In the Jewish mindset, a Gentile, Greek word ethnos, literally means pagan. It means heathen. It means all of the other nations outside of the accepted people. The insiders are the Jews. The outsiders are everybody else. Now, you remember in Exodus chapter 19 that the intention of God was to make all of Israel, all 12 tribes, to be a whole nation of priests. And they were to be a priestly nation to the rest of the nations of the world so that the other nations would eventually bow before God, Psalm uh, 22 says, all the world shall worship before him and bow down and declare that he is Lord. And so Israel lost sight of that and God basically had to say, okay, so the whole nation's not going to be priests, but I'm going to pick one tribe out of the 12 and make them the priestly tribe just to minister to these people because you guys don't get it. And what they didn't get got worse through the decades and through the centuries and what rolled into the millennia and they were very snobbish about looking down their noses at everybody else. And when the day of Pentecost came and God poured out His Holy Spirit, it was to the Jew first. But as we later see, salvation is taken to all the Gentile world through the Apostle Paul. And he says this in Romans 1.16. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first, but also to the Greek he says, for herein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. So we've got this understanding that God always begins with the group that he last dealt with. And I wish I could take a moment and develop that because that's how revivals occur through church history. He will go to the last group that he touched, restored truth to, poured out his Holy Spirit in. He will invite them to participate in the new thing he's doing. And if they reject it, he goes and grabs and God does it over and over again among some outsiders. How many of you know God likes outsiders? God does not like cliques. God does not like folks who think they are superior to other people. Because God is no respecter of persons. He is a respecter of faith. He will respond to your faith. Come on, somebody. Don't walk like an Egyptian. Don't walk like a Gentile anymore. Why? Because you're no longer that. For you to call me a Gentile Christian is to spit in the face of the cross because you're calling me a heathen Christian. I'm not a Gentile. I'm not an alien from the commonwealth of Israel. I'm not a stranger from the covenants of promise. Ephesians 2 says I'm now fellow members of the household of God and the covenant has become mine. I am the seed of Abraham because I belong to Jesus. 
Galatians 3.29, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So now God's showing this thing is not just for one little select group. And the Holy Land's not just a little a runway strip of land over in the Middle East, but the Holy Land is the whole earth. God says the whole earth is mine. He's going to fill it. The whole earth will be filled with His glory. Hallelujah! But He's called us to live a certain way. Look at this. Chapter 4, verses 17 through 19. He says, Now this I say, and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk. There it is. Everybody say walk. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And I want you to notice all of these words that have to do with your thinking in the futility of their minds. Go ahead. Give me the next verse. They are darkened in their what? Understanding. Alienated from the life of God because of the what? Ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of heart. And so what we're dealing with here is he's saying you have life on the inside of you. Now you have to learn to walk based on who you are now and not who you used to be. You're no longer a sinner. Doesn't mean you don't sin anymore. But you're no longer identified by an old nature. You have a saint nature. You have a righteousness nature. You have something that wants to be holy and wants to walk with God. You might try to do what used to trap you, but you, can't, you can do it. Yeah, you got the choice, but you can't enjoy it anymore because something down on the inside of you, come on, it's telling you, you can't, you're called to live bigger than that. They are darkened in their understanding. Go ahead with the next verse. They have become callous and have given themselves up to it. Here it is. Because of their thinking, their darkness, their lack of understanding, their confusion, their ignorance, giving themselves up to sensuality. And this is how intense it is. They're greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So what this is saying is, as new believers in Christ, you can't keep living the way you used to live. It is impossible, it is impossible to have the heart of the new man and keep practicing the deeds of the old man. Come on, are you hearing me? It's impossible. You're going to have a new motivation, you're going to have a new desire. Now, the, the issue is, is that we have to begin to learn how to walk the right way. It's not just a negative saying, don't walk like you used to. Because you're not Gentiles separated from the covenant, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers having no hope without God in this world. That no longer describes you because now you're joined to Christ. You're one in Christ. Okay? All right, go give me the next point this morning. So he says in this next section, we talk about the way. Everybody say the way. The, 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 the believers were first referred to as people who walked in the way, capital W. Uh, living for Jesus early on was described as people of the way. And so they walked in the way. They walked with Jesus. I, I, I've talked to you about this here in the South, how we're so experience-oriented, and it all ends up being tied up and, and, and connected to uh, a kind of a, a one-time experience where you confess Jesus or you go to the altar and kneel and, or, or maybe you shake a pastor's hand or sign a commitment card or you go back for a fresh start or, or whatever it is. The experience is not what this is about. That's just the front door into what it's all about. Are you hearing me? The Bible says straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life. And few there be that find it. And the issue is in the Bible Belt South, we make so much of the gate. 
We make so much of coming down front, so much of raising your hand, so much of doing the fresh start, so much of signing the commitment card, whatever. And then there's really not enough emphasis on what it means to be in the way. Straight is the gate. Yeah, we come to the gate of experience of meeting Jesus. But it's entirely different to learn how to walk with and follow Jesus in the way. Come on, somebody, say the way. So the way that you learn Christ. Now notice this. Everything he just described in verse 20, here it comes. He says, but that is not the way that you learn Christ. Now, what he's literally saying here is is the intensity of the Greek, and because this is a one service today, and we really want to illustrate this in just a few moments I'm not going to really dig in, into that on a depth of, on a level of that depth. But I just want to say to you that this is not just about knowing a principle, learning Christ. He says, that's not the way that you learned Christ. Verse 21, look at this. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. The, the implication of these words is, is that you've already walked with him a little while. You've not just learned about, you're not just mentally assenting to the fact that Jesus truly was a historical figure, but you have met him and now his life is on the inside of you and you have begun to learn what it means to walk alongside him in the way. So to learn Christ is bigger than just getting your gospel presentation right. It's bigger than just being able to mouth the words and knowing that you've not earned it, but it's a grace gift. Those are great things to know, but you can know that and never meet Him. You can know that and not be saved. You can know that. And and as a matter of fact, you can do all the stuff that Southern Churchianity is about. You can be faithful to your wife. You can keep your good credit score and pay your bills on time. You can cut your grass and keep your house in good shape. And you can be a member of a couple of service organizations in the community. You can even go to church. But you know, you can do every bit of that and not even know Jesus. And the problem is we got churches that are filled with folks that are good people in pharisaical judgment, going through the motions, but don't know Jesus. The point is you haven't learned Christ that way. Have you learned him where you know him, where you've met him, where you've begun to walk with him? Verse 22, it says, this is what he begins to give us. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. When you come to Christ, there's an immediate transformation. Everything is not completely overhauled. It's like a renovation project. Come on, how many of you have, have gutted the kitchen and have put in new cabinets and new, new appliances, whether they're stainless steel or maybe a few years ago you put the black ones in or, or whatever you've done or maybe you've redone your bathroom or built something on the house. How many of you know anytime you build something new, you have to tear something old out first? You've got to clean it out. You've got to, uh, as a matter of fact, I, I want to grab this to you. It just ran across my mind and my memory. Uh, the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that word renewing literally is the word renovate. So when you, when you start to build something new, many times you have to tear out the old in order to make room and make space and make proper connection to the foundation and build to the house and the roof line and all of that stuff. You have to tear out the old before you put in the new. So he says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. You come to Jesus, let's say you're 25, 30 years old. Let's let's put a yawn up here. Let's make you 35. 
So you've lived according to the old man, the old nature, for a lot of years, and you've got some memories of that way of life. And you come to Jesus, and he transforms your heart, and there is still in you, many times, deceitful desires, memories that are lurking, that are hanging around. It's just like someone who loses a loved one, but they go for years with the clothes hanging in the closet, and their identity is still wrapped up in the one who's dead. And it's unfortunate because people have to learn how they have to grieve for a season, but they have to move on. And Paul the Apostle likens our walk with Christ to a woman who's married to a husband in Romans chapter 7, but the Bible says if he's dead, she's no longer bound to him. Well, guess what, bride of Christ? Adam is dead. You're married to a new man now, and his name is Christ. Come on, somebody. You got a new husband. He doesn't treat you like the old one did. And a lot of times you're dealing with the memories of the past and the desires and the stirring up of all this stuff that is reminding you of how you used to live. Verse 23, grab that one for me. And it says, and be renewed. There that is, that renovate right there. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Well, guess what? If you, all the church you get on Sunday morning and you're told for 27 minutes how low down and no good and dirty, awful sinner you are, you're going to sin a little bit every day. Guess what? You're fed that. You're gonna, you assimilate the food. Look at your neighbor and say, you are what you eat. That's the reason you need to be in a Bible-based, Christ-centered, new creation preaching church that's not constantly beating the people down with sin consciousness, but it's growing up the body in righteousness consciousness. Come on, somebody. I hope you're hearing what I'm saying because I'm going to say this part right here. Everybody isn't preaching what we preach at Victory. It's not all the same. Because a lot of folks don't even go near it because they're afraid to preach the word on this, this level of commitment. I don't know what you think about that. Frankly, I don't care. Because I've got the word to back it up. 24, let's go. And he says after that, put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So look at your neighbor and say, put off the old, put on the new. So to walk with Christ as a Christ follower means I put off the old self and I put on the new self. That's our one thing. Say it with me. Here we go. To walk as a Christ follower means that I put off the old self and I put on the new self. That is in every manner and way of my life. I become like Christ. Okay. Next point this morning. I want to I give this to you in such a way that you will never forget what Paul is trying to, to preach. Read this out loud with me and ask the question. Here we go. Here we go. Remember Lazarus? You everybody remember Lazarus? Okay, here we go. Let's read this out loud. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Next verse. Here we go. When he had said these things, now do what it says. Here we go. He cried out with a loud voice. Come on, let me hear you. Lazarus, come out. All right. So Lazarus starts walking up out of the grave. Come on up here, Laz. So right now, brother, your 24-hour ain't working no more. 
He's been dead. But right now, Lazarus is alive. He's dressed in an old, dead way of life. The Bible says Jesus calls him forth and Lazarus came out. Get the next verse. Come on, here we go. Stay right where you are, Laz. The man who had, can, can read it with me? The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Now, I need some help. Because I believe that when we truly disciple people, you can't do it by yourself with the Word and in, a, in a, just a little personal Bible study. I, I'm thankful that I have Jesus, but I need my brothers and my sisters because they can see parts of my life that I can't see by myself. And, and, and so Jesus calls a dead man out. And right now, this is a picture of you when you come to Jesus. You are fully alive in Christ, but you're wrapped in death of an old life. Amen. And so the scripture is going to begin to show us what it means. And this is my next point this morning. Look with me. Put off your, read it with me. Put off your grave clothes and what? Put on your what? Your grace clothes. So this new believer right here who now has the life of God moving and working inside of him, the Holy Spirit is resident. But now I want to walk with this new believer so that the one who is residing in him becomes the one who is presiding over him. Look at your neighbor and say, the, the resident needs to be the president. Now who am I talking about? Everybody say, the Holy Spirit. Okay, so what's on the inside, holiness, has got to begin to come out in my life. So let's start to read some scripture. Now, the, the Bible says that Jesus called Lazarus forth and said, unbind him. Now, you can, you can make a fresh start today. You can know Jesus Christ before you leave this house. You can know that if you die and go to heaven, that he is yours, that, that you are his. That's settled forever. But you can walk around bound the same way that Laz is standing up here on the stage. You can struggle to walk with Jesus because you still got stuff that's binding you. Jesus says, unbind him and let him go. How many of you know Jesus wants to loose every one of you so you can be free? Now, I want us to start. Help me out. I've got a great disciple. I've got a great leader over here that's going to help us. We're going to loose Lazarus this morning. As he starts, it says, therefore having put away. So what are we going to put off? Let's see what we're going to put off. What is the very first thing? Lying. Now, English Standard says falsehood. All the other translations says lying. I, I really like the word lying better because you can't get any plainer than that. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, quit your lying. Quit your lying. lying is the first sin in the Bible that the Holy Spirit judged in the New Testament. Listen to me. When you lie, the truth will come out because God knows. Ananias and Sapphira lied to the church leaders, but the Bible says they lied to the Holy Ghost. So we need to stop lying. And we stop lying. It says, let every one of you speak the truth to his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Okay, help me there, brother. Let's go ahead and let's, let's get lying out of Laz's life here. Okay, beautiful. So what do we have next? All right, therefore having put away falsehood, give me the next verse. Thank you. Be angry and do not sin. 
Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, there's a good kind of anger. How many of you know most of us don't know how to use it? Let me just be the first to confess. I have to check my anger regularly. The last six, eight months of my life have been a crazy season and just dealing with just people and the, just, just some ways that I've been treated. I've, have to, I've had to go back to the foot of the cross and kneel and get on my face and go, God, I release. I don't want to be angry. I don't want to preach angry. I, I want to be able to be at peace in my heart. I want to be able to release and forgive and let people go because when you're angry, it will come out. And people are people. Sometimes they don't even mean to. Sometimes, sometimes it's when they mean to and you trust them that it hurts so deeply and it hurts so bad. But the Bible says, okay, it's all right. Go ahead and be angry. Be patient about this, but don't sin with it. And so you have to keep that anger in check. It says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. I always counsel couples, don't go to bed mad. Because you'll wake up in the morning and you'll feel like everything's fine. You'll have forgotten about it. But when you don't resolve that stuff, it tends to build until a pressure cooker blows. Don't go to bed angry. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Okay, thank you, my brother. You're doing a great job helping us here. Let's, let's, let's peel off the, the next layer of what's going on. Be, do not be angry. Do not sin. It says give no opportunity to the devil. What do we have here? Satanic footholds. If, if I don't keep my anger in check and if I don't get my tongue right and I keep lying, I'm going to give Satan a foothold into a, a, a part of my life to be able to make his way into it. Look at your neighbor and say, tell the truth and check your anger. When you do that, you don't give the devil an opportunity to find a way to creep in and begin to build a stronghold into your life. You want to know why you've got to quit lying? Because it takes another lie to cover the last 20 you've told. And so we've got to put away from us. We've got to put off all the old. All right? And we don't give an opportunity to the devil. Well, we need to learn to give place to the Holy Spirit, make ourselves available to the Spirit of God to continue to groom us and mentor us and teach us. Go ahead to the next verse. It says, and let the thief no longer steal. So what are we taking off here? Stop you stealing. Well, I know you're not walking into Walmart with a little thin bag and walking out with, with Santa's basket or whatever. Uh, I hope you're not shoplifting or anything like that. But there are a lot of kinds of ways you can steal. You can, the enemy, this, notice that these are descriptors of Satan's M.O. He is a thief. He is a robber. He will accuse. He will steal. He will steal, kill, and destroy. He will lie to you. He's the father of lies. What's the whole point? You've got to quit resembling who you used to be related to because now you've got a new father, a spiritual father, and the DNA of Christ is on the inside of you because you were born from the very same word that raised him from the dead. Come on, help me a little bit in this place. Are you getting anything out of this? Come on, I, wa I want you to remember what we're talking about this morning. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. Go to work. Bruce Hornsby a few years ago, prophet of God, sang a song, said, get a job. I believe that's the word. Do honest work with your own hands so that, in order that, he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, you know, when you're all me-centered and you're lying about it and you're angry and you're messed up and you're just a victim and you're just stealing, trying to grab and greedy over anything you can get, everything about that changes oppositely when you begin to walk with Jesus. You start to tell the truth. You learn to check your anger. 
and you learn to be generous and share instead of trying to rob somebody of something that's not yours and belongs to him. You start letting God bless you so greatly that you can bless others out of your abundance and you can learn to become generous. Work honestly with your hands so that you'll have something to share with anyone else who is in need. It's a complete 180. It's a 180 degree turn. All right? Next passage. Here we go. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. What do we have here? Everybody say, wrong talk. Now, let me just tell you right now, uh, the religious Bible Belt South ties that all up in four-letter words. I really don't think that is even what this is about. If it is, that's the kindergarten level. I think wrong talk is all about completely diminishing who you are in Christ and talking about who you used to be as if it were still you now. I believe that's the kind of corruption in our talk and our conversation. I don't believe you ought to loosely use vulgar language. But so many times people are all tied up about all that stuff and they're living their religious lives still talking all the sin consciousness and just negativity and doubt and unbelief and all that kind of stuff, going to church every Sunday, not saying four-letter what they think are curse words but are just common words. But yet they're just talking all kinds of corruption that does not build anybody else up. This is not about using a wrong, vulgar four-letter word. This is about getting your talk right where you start to talk based on the one who's living on the inside of you. That means you encourage people. That means you strengthen people. That means you lift others up. Are you hearing me? All right, that it may minister, that it may give grace to those who hear. Verse 30. Are you getting anything? Come on, here we go. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. There are all kinds of ways you can grieve the Spirit. Everything we've just said. Lying, not telling the truth, stealing, taking something that's not yours, being angry and sinning in the middle of that, using your ability to communicate. The Bible says in Proverbs, death and life is in the power of the tongue. And you have the ability to build into, to mentor another young life, or you can totally wreck their dreams and their desires and their goals and think you're talking common sense, but you're just talking, the devil's run his hand up you like a puppet and he's just moving your mouth. Somebody says, how do you know when the devil is lying? The old preacher said it this way, honey, when his lips are moving because he's a liar from the beginning. Any kind of wrong talk will begin to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Instead of grieving the Spirit, let's learn how to please the Holy Spirit. Every one of these has a proper opposite. All right, he says, we're sealed by Him until the day of redemption. Verse 31, here we go. And let, and we're going to wrap these up re real quickly. I'm almost finished. Let all bitterness, go ahead and pull them off, Pastor Jeremy. Bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Now, I wish that I had time to stop and do a study on these words because there is really so much power in every one of them. Bitterness, you can get upset with somebody and it can become a root in you that will alter your whole life. It starts with unforgiveness. When you don't let it go because somebody has hurt you and you think having unforgiveness towards somebody else that becomes a root of bitterness is like you drinking poison and expecting somebody else to die. And so letting it go and choosing to forgive is not so much for them as it is for you. Come on, somebody. So bitterness and wrath, that's rage. That's unchecked anger right there. Bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. Maliciousness is to 
uh, is to, with intention, try to manipulate or intimidate or hurt somebody else. And it's almost like this thing is in a downward spin of a toilet, just going right on down the drain because it's just sucking you down into the depths of depravity. You can be alive on the inside and still walking around in the old manner of life and not free. But Jesus says, unbind him and let him go. All right, so we're pulling the last one off of malice. Let's get this, let's get this young, new, saved, born-again, blood-bought, spirit-filled believer. Let's get him completely set free. Come on. Are you ready? Give me verse 32, and this ends it to this morning. Be kind to... Come on, read it out loud with me. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Now, in the very same way that we are all called to put off the old, the stinky death clothes, the grave clothes, we are called, look what he's going to do, to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Come on out here. Look, look, look at this handsome young man. And you know what I love? Is that he's not just a great sport letting us do this. He is alive on the inside. Jesus lives in Matt Gaddis. And he is learning as a young man to put on Jesus, to put on Christ, and to continually put off the old and put on the new. Let's give Matt a hand. Thank you, Matt. Beautiful job. Now, I just want you to know that we did extensive research, and um, we, it actually, we found uh, that in ancient history that they actually used brawny towels when they wrapped up the dead. Uh, so just remember that. Okay, um, so we, we've been through all this whole section, and they're going to give it to us one more time. Here we go. This is what we're to put off. Go ahead and give it to me, guys. Lying. Let's read it. Anger, satanic footholds, stealing, wrong talk, grieving the Holy Spirit, bitterness, wrath, malice, all those clamor, anger, we just, I think we abbreviated it there in order to bring this thing to a conclusion. Have you gotten anything out of this this morning? Put off. Look at your neighbor and say, put off your grave clothes and put on your grace clothes. Now, that's what Jesus wants you, not just, see, this is, this is the part of the religious system in the South. It's all about that moment where you come to the gate it's all about if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. And then really, it's just almost kind of like we let folks just hang. And, and we want to tell you that, that that doesn't mean, okay, I've got that part. I've checked it off, and I can just sort of go on about my life. I've got God satisfied. I can come to church every couple of months and throw a little check in. You know, I can once in a while, maybe once in a while, raise my hands and enter into worship. That's not at all. That's just so ridiculous with this. And when I say this, when I talk about Southern Christianity, I'm not thinking about any church. This thing hangs in the air like bad smoke. It's all around us. It's just part of the, the idea that, hey, I'm an American. I like baseball. I drive a Chevrolet. I'm a Christian. I love apple pie. I'm a Christian. How I many you know that is a lie from the pit of hell? So we need to recognize you can do all the good things, you can do all the nice things, and you can do all of that without knowing Jesus Christ at all. So this morning we just say to you the closing verse says, Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. And so this morning I, I close with the end of this chapter. 
we begin your new life by starting with the ending of that chapter. God has already forgiven you. He did it in the cross of Jesus Christ. You can pay your own debt for your sin and it'll be the wrath of God's eternity. Or you can receive the gift because Jesus did it in just a matter of a few hours. Completely took it upon himself. Was made to be sin for us. All of us like sheep have gone astray, turned everyone to our own way. The Bible says the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This morning I'm talking to two groups of people. I'm talking to folks that are still in the grave to sin. You're dead. But right now, you've, the Spirit of God's already moved. He's already made you come alive to even be able to hear the importance of this word of the gospel. Now it is your responsibility, your choice to respond to this unction of the Spirit, of Him drawing you, of Him making you alive because Jesus has said to you just like He did that day in the graveyard, Lazarus, come out! Jesus is calling you out of a life of sin and now your response is to come out of the graveyard and then let... Brothers and sisters who love you begin to unbind you, loose you from your grave clothes and help you get dressed in your grace clothes so you can be completely free in Jesus Christ. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Come on, somebody. Every head bowed, eyes closed, please. Jesus, we